0: Thank you. (laughs) dip <laughs> dip <laughs> 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 everyone. Welcome to Julian's Lightroom, Episode 9. This episode, I am sitting on the ground in my room recording this, which is not important, but I thought I'd let you know where I'm at. (laughs) Um, This episode's topic is going to be overcoming depression, and this is not meant to be Uh, for lack of a better word, a depressive episode. It's more meant to be informational and hopefully encouraging. Um, I had the idea to do um, this episode surrounding this topic because I had a a shower thought uh, a couple of weeks ago. And as I got into the shower, the thought arrived and the thought was, Why am I not depressed? And it may sound funny. Uh, (laughs) Kind of sounds funny repeating it out loud. Um, But it was followed up by, I used to be depressed, but I'm not now. And I'm really grateful for that. But why am I not depressed anymore? How can I answer that question? And it's a loaded question. It's a huge question. And it may not be a straightforward answer and it may never be. Um, But I thought about that and I had a lot of thoughts that came to my mind and I've sat down and I've put together um, some of the reasons why I think that that might be the case. And I thought that this could be helpful for someone who may be going through something similar that I went through. And so I'm going to start this off with a disclaimer. I'm going to start off this episode with a disclaimer. This is, the disclaimer states, <laughs> This is not a solution, medical advice, or an answer to your personal situation, but an, an account of my own individual journey and experience with what we call depression. A quick Google search of the definition will yield this result. It involves a depressed mood or loss of pleasure or interest in activities for long periods of time. Depression is different from regular mood changes and feelings about everyday life. Depression can take any number of forms and look different from individual to individual. This is no longer the definition, by the way. This is me speaking again. It is not helpful to downplay anyone's depression by making the comparison that someone else has it worse, even if it's true. You cannot logic someone out of depression with a single comparison. Even if someone's feelings seem unreasonable or illogical from the outside, they're still very real and true to the individual experiencing them in this episode in the episode, in this episode, I will do my best to provide an accurate account of my personal experience with depression and how I've learned to overcome it. I'm not sharing this part of my life for pity or for praise but rather in the hopes that my struggles have yielded information valuable to those going through something similar. So with that to kind of set the stage, we are going to move into a few of the questions that I asked myself when I was wondering why am I not depressed? Well, what did my depression look like? So what were some of the signs, symptoms or behaviors I was exhibiting that Clued to me that I was going through some sort of depression. Um, I was taking what I call reality evading naps or a lot of people like to refer to them as depression naps and so I'd often come home in high school and just jump in my bed and sleep for who knows four four hours sometimes uh, wake up maybe grab some dinner from my parents bring it down into my room eat it play video games for a long period of time and then go to sleep and probably not get enough sleep for the next day. Um, Yeah, or on the weekends um, or just whenever I didn't have it in me to be interacting with the world uh, or I didn't want to experience uh, existing, then going to sleep was something I could do. It was a way I could be unconscious to reality and get away from it and put a pause on it for a minute Um, because even if I slept for four hours when I woke up it felt like only a minute had gone by and so I would do that quite frequently uh, more frequently than is healthy and uh, it definitely (laughs) definitely took away my energy Uh, it wasn't very exciting to say the least um, I used to exhibit extreme resistance to certain events and going out and uh, a few key moments that come to my mind were uh, numerous events where my parents would probably in an effort to cheer me up or do something together. They would you know, try to get us to go out to dinner and I'd be really reluctant and I'd have to argue with them why I didn't want to go or why I didn't want to eat or we'd be even driving there halfway and I'd start complaining and I'd start saying how I didn't want to eat anything or I didn't want to be out and I couldn't handle it and sometimes they'd drive us back and I'd go go down into my room to distract myself and to hide away and kind of it was a bummer it was a total bummer Um, another one was uh, my aunt's birthday she was hosting a large birthday party at a restaurant and I showed up Um, and I was so self-conscious and so, and feeling so unworthy of, of, of being there, I guess. Um, I just felt embarrassed. I suppose I felt embarrassed around my family. I felt like I had nothing to, I had no value to give them. And I felt really uncomfortable at this birthday. I felt like a mooch. I felt like I was just eating the birthday food and... I felt really bad so I think I, confide, I confided in my parents who were there and they let me take the car keys and just leave mid-birthday. Um, thankfully everyone was really uh, understanding. Um, you know no one gave me a hard time about it but it still didn't feel good. It didn't feel empowering. It didn't feel um, it just didn't feel right. Um, so those are a couple like um, just like memories that I have that really point out the kind of uh, just kind of depressed mood and state that I was in for for a significant amount of time. Um, This next point I have here is I was using drugs, food, video games, and pleasure in excess to cope or distract. And so there's a number of years, probably from 17 till early 20s, where I was smoking copious amounts of weed um, just just blasting weed constantly, using it as a way to distract myself and to escape the emotions of the moment. And that wasn't the only thing. Uh, I would binge on food and and junk food, and I would play video games for eight hours a day, ten hours a day. Um, and I would distract myself with with a lot of things, uh, whatever was an easy fix whatever was an easy way to get dopamine, Um, whether that came from even a romantic relationship or whether it was video games or binging food and smoking weed, Uh, all those things to try to numb the pain, I suppose, or numb the emptiness or the confusion that I felt, just this lack of grip. Anyways, Um, And then another uh, sign, symptom, and behavior that I have here is that I gave up on things. I gave up on sports. I pretty much dropped out of all the sports I was involved in, whether it was squash or hockey or rowing. Um, I cut off my involvement in those. I barely got around to finishing high school. I actually didn't finish high school with my graduating class. I had to take an extra semester to get the credits required um, because I basically just gave up. I saw no point in getting my GED. Uh, I didn't see a point in anything, and so, <laughs> so studying you know trigonometry wasn't on my priority list, um, and so I kind of just let that slide. Uh, I did go back and finish it the following semester, um, but. Uh, that's another story. We could get so in depth about all these different things. Um, another um, kind of uh, another kind of thing I have here that describes what my depression looked like was on May thirteenth, two thousand and seventeen, I was in the hospital probably talking to a psychologist or something. They gave me a patient health questionnaire. And you would go through, and uh, the questions were something like: On a scale of not at all to nearly every day, um, how often do you have little interest or pleasure in doing things? How often do you feel down or depressed? How often do you um, have thoughts that you'd be better off dead or hurting yourself in some way? And the score is out of 27. I scored a 21. And then they wrote down major depression, severe severity. And so, you know, even though I was uh, definitely feeling these things, I still, um, no, yeah, it was severe. Um, obviously, it's just hard for me because um, I know that others have it more severe. And so I still, I still even now to this day, have trouble accepting <laughs> my uh my feelings as 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 valid um because i know just how privileged my life has been um but uh yeah i felt awful uh, almost all the time and that was uh one of the first steps i believe in in admitting it um which is something that i'll get to um So that's kind of what my depression looked like in a nutshell, I suppose. I could go a lot more in depth into it, um, but I think that gives maybe a reasonable idea. Um, Just having really dark thoughts, um, hardly getting out of bed, having little or no motivation to do anything ever, hardly enjoying the things that I used to enjoy, um, having trouble around food and my appetite and how to go about that, um, extreme lethargy, um, those kinds of things. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, as we get into it, um, I just want to say I could list out the endless lifestyle changes and or biohacks that would have helped increase things like my energy or support my mind and invigorate my body. Like, getting outside in the sun and moving my body in the morning or eating a clean and nutritious diet. You know, I wasn't really concerned about with what I was eating or how much I was moving or um, how much media I was consuming. Um, But yeah, um, incorporating those kinds of changes and staying consistent with my health ended up requiring a deep and unwavering motivation to put that kind of effort in. Otherwise, it would have felt pointless basically like everything else did at the time. So, might I ask myself, why was I depressed? It's hard to say exactly why, as it was likely a combination of many factors, and we often become good at lying to ourselves about why we feel the way we do. Many of us outsource the reason for our situation to things outside of our control, like other people or bad luck the last thing you feel like doing when you're depressed is taking on more responsibility, even if it's for your own life. So it makes sense that we sometimes delude ourselves into thinking the depression is something we cannot change or take control of, but we actually can. Uh, and that's, that's something I believe that's been my experience and situations are going to be different for everybody. And I'm not saying it's easy by any means. Um, but uh, this has been my experience. So, yeah, we can sit here and theorize all day about why I might have been depressed. Um, and, and it would take forever. But um, talking about what helped and what made a change is, I believe, more productive. Um, because that kind of gives us clues as to what exactly might have been causing the depression. So, I've written out uh, most of these points here, and so I'm going to kind of go along, read them out, and then I may interrupt every now and then with, uh, with an off-the-top take, but most of this is pre-written. Uh, this is just something I decided to get, try out for this episode. So, never mind trying to figure out why I was depressed. I first had to accept and admit that I was Fortunately for myself, I was in a relationship at the time with a girl who I felt comfortable enough with to eventually express my suicidal daydreams to. And just for context, uh, for the rest of this podcast, I'm going to refer to three different relationships. And so this relationship I'm referring to right now is one that I had in early high school. There's going to be another one that I refer to that's going to be in later high school. And there's gonna be a third one I refer to, which is after high school and after that second relationship. So this is that first one I'm referring to. So I felt comfortable enough expressing to her uh, those suicidal daydreams I was having. Part of me thinks I was fishing for pity and part of me thinks it was a real cry for help. And I think maybe both are true. I wasn't the most mindful or skilled communicator at 16. I really was, however, having dark dreams of quitting existence too frequently for comfort, and it eventually came out. It wasn't easy, and I didn't know how she would react. I felt really uncomfortable and almost scared to admit it to anybody for fear of being told it's not serious enough to worry about. But luckily for me, the exact opposite was true. She took it very seriously, She expressed her concern and suggested I tell my parents and and look for help. This was a huge relief to me, though the next steps she suggested made me uncomfortable, and I was again afraid that my feelings would be invalidated by my parents if I brought them up. I'm not entirely sure where I picked up this reluctance to accept my feelings as true, despite what others might say. Somewhere along the way, I developed an aptitude for people-pleasing and valuing others' opinions of myself over my own. Perhaps the influences of family dynamics, friendships, and media had amalgamated to form this lack of self-respect. Perhaps it's a part of my natural inclination, though these days I'd rather adopt the belief that I am naturally inclined to roles of leadership and responsibility and things that require confidence and Uh, assurance in oneself so I could sit and hypothesize for the rest of my life about what the contributing factors might have been but it's far enough in the past now that they would only be guesses and estimations at best the only proof I have that I can be sure of is that I feel a lot better now than I used to and I can recall the changes that helped make that possible I knew in my heart that my parents would always support me if I needed any help and I can't understate how grateful and fortunate I am to have that resource. Despite knowing this, it was still very uncomfortable to admit to them that I had been experiencing depression. I was afraid my feelings would be invalidated by them, but they weren't, and instead they were active in finding professional help for me. Thus, I'm led to believe that my fear of being invalidated by my parents wasn't based in any real likelihood, but rather in a lack of trust in myself. I couldn't trust that what I was feeling was true or worthy of expression or worthy of addressing i was afraid that i couldn't find an answer if someone asked me well why are you depressed maybe i didn't have valid enough reasons maybe i'm just lazy or stupid or crazy and this is what i told myself constantly the fact of the matter was that i felt awful constantly for months and months and months and i didn't understand why Looking back now, I can even see where that same darkness resided in me over many years, taking different forms and various levels of intensity. Jumping past the hamster wheel of trying to quantify or qualify my feelings and instead stating them as real and true was essential to understanding them and changing them for the best. I now take it as a general rule of thumb that what you are saying is true and important when it feels uncomfortable to say. That nervousness that arises when you want to express how you feel to someone for fear of what they might think, that's real, that's true. That pit in your stomach you feel when you know you should stand up for yourself or someone else, but it's hard to, that's real, that's true. This is probably more so the case for those of us who are still learning to be assertive when it's appropriate to. So to wrap that up, admitting, admitting my depression and owning it and saying it for what it is was the first step in taking action, outlining it, being like, here it is. Here it is. It's real. This is a problem I have. And this is something that I need to take care of because I can't go on continuing like this. It's making me want to die basically. And yeah. Yeah. So that was what I call the first catalyst truth and confession admitting owning and accepting it as a problem as real as true i was depressed boom stamp sealed delivered and resisting putting qualification on it being like oh you don't you know julian you don't deserve to be depressed um you have a roof over your head or you have food on your table and it's like those are great reasons to be grateful um But I'm still depressed, so, you know, clearly something else is going on. So uh, another thing that helped after admitting the truth is what I call humans that heal. Um, So at this point, I'd gotten the ball rolling uh, by accepting that something was wrong and admitting to myself and others that I wasn't making much progress trying to sort it out alone. Clearly, I hadn't asked for help up until then and I was in this terrible state and I wasn't able to bring myself out of it, so I needed help from someone. Finding a therapist was the next rational step, someone who specialized in cases of depression and anxiety such as mine. And I was really fortunate that the second therapist I visited would be a fundamental support in my life for the next five years. He was calm, accepting validating, and a total stranger. It was so refreshing to be able to spill my mind to someone separate from my personal life. In fact, it was a major factor in allowing me to express the deepest, darkest, and most disturbing parts of my mind without fear of judgment. There was no, well, are you sure you're not just overthinking or you just need to be more assertive? It was, okay, you're depressed, I hear you. Tell me more, describe it in detail. When do you feel better? When do you feel worse? When this situation happens, what feelings come up? What do you wish it felt like instead? He asked me the questions. He asked me the questions, and he encouraged me to find the answers. He knew I had the answers within me. He never told me the solution. He helped guide me to my own. His approach was not to dismiss or to try to rid me of these uncomfortable feelings, but rather to face them feel them and understand how they affected me in daily situations. To move with them, as opposed to trying to move away from them as I had been for so long, trying to bury and quiet them with the aforementioned drugs, entertainment and instantly gratifying behaviors. As I've come to learn, there are people you will meet, know or are born to that will help you heal or perpetuate your pain. Those who perpetuate your pain I do not believe do so on purpose, but rather as a self-defense or coping mechanism. Misery loves company. Some will judge you for expressing your truth because it makes them uncomfortable hearing you allow yourself to be vulnerable. The contrast between your openness and their closed-off heart and mind makes them feel worse about themselves, and you may be labeled as corny or any other slew of insults in an attempt to bring you back down to their level. It is really a projection of their insecurity disguised as something wrong with you. On the other hand, those who help you heal your pain will likely, to some extent, understand and take responsibility for the shadows and pain in themselves. Instead of allowing the ego to take over and attempt to protect its insecurity, they will err more on the side of genuine concern and empathy for your situation and overall well-being. They will not judge you for speaking the truth and can even create environments that encourage vulnerability and transform it into empowerment. Do you have a friend that feels therapeutic to speak to? Where you have no fear of sounding crazy or sharing questionable opinions, knowing they will not judge you for your thoughts and feelings as they do not define you. My therapist was that friend to a degree that I didn't know was possible to accept and empower every aspect of my being, the dark, the light, the scared, and the brave. Not everyone will be as fortunate as I've been in finding the right person to share themselves with, but I assure you, they do exist. And after experiencing that sort of relationship, it's shown to me the kinds of traits I can look for in others that fire me up and make me feel alive. Since then, I've made friends and met people who have blown me away in terms of their understanding and love for themselves and others. A whole other world of possibility has been shown to me and I intend to continue discovering it and the people who reside within. I encourage you to do the same. It's real, real love and real happiness is there for you. If you look, you'll continue to find it more and more as it overcomes the negative energies in your life until it becomes the majority. It's scary and uncomfortable, but you can transform your life in ways you never expected. It's supposed to feel weird. I did it. And whatever special quality you may believe I have that has allowed me to resides in you as well. And so just wanted to go over the immense influence of the people around me that have helped me heal. Um, particularly uh, my psychologist or my therapist that I had seen. For a very long time, we'd formed a really strong relationship, and he. um, I just never felt so safe to share in an environment, safe to express, to say anything, anything. The worst, the deepest thoughts, the things you're so afraid to say to anyone. It's like you could go to him and he'd accept you. He doesn't know anyone that you know, there's no ties. You could say whatever. He's seen worse. He's heard worse. You know? You're not a bad person if you have a bad thought. Thoughts are just figments, they're not even real. Everyone has them. And it's okay. So, that was another thing humans that heal. Um, So, we had the first catalyst truth and confession. We've had humans that heal. Now we have the second catalyst or catalysts, individuality. The successive years of counseling made a large difference in helping me move away from suicidal thoughts and secluding myself away from the world, which as one might assume, made an immensely positive impact on my overall overall well-being. And though I had overcome the fear of admitting my depression to my ex, my parents, and my therapist, I was still a novice in terms of understanding emotions and trusting myself. I still had people pleasing habits and trouble trusting my intuition. In my experience, these are not behaviors that disappear as soon as you overcome them once, but you are faced with these challenges time and time again, yielding continuous opportunities to overcome yourself and practice bravery. I still have varying levels of these traits, but they've become increasingly balanced out by opposing qualities. It's taken time and a lot of failed attempts. These habits influence how I interact with my parents, friends, and romantic partners, and understanding how they do has been life-changing, hence why I refer to the following situations as catalysts. Breakups have been some of the most powerful and valuable learning experiences of my entire life and I'm grateful for each and every one of them. This includes the time within the relationships where countless lessons were learned and memories were made. I'm grateful for every part of them, before, during, after, the good, the bad, the easy, and the hard. Everything had something I could learn from and try to do better next time. My first massive bout of post-breakup growth was when a girlfriend and I mutually split up after about two and a half years. So this is a different girlfriend than the one who I'd mentioned prior. This is different than the one who I'd confided my depression in initially. This was after. I won't go into too, too much detail as to protect the privacy of those involved and the whole story could take about two and a half years to tell. I'll try to set the stage as neutrally and respectful as possible. These two and a half years included breaks and breakups in between. We had begun dating in high school and had grown extremely close and also extremely codependent during these formative years. Again, I was caught in the throes of love and lust and had no grip on who I was or wanted to be. I didn't know how or that I could even love myself, but I attempted to love others. In some ways it worked and in some it didn't. I was unsure of myself, what I wanted, and where I was going. I identified myself with the relationship, and my every thought and decision was routed through it. I valued the relationship over myself, again, exhibiting people-pleasing behaviors. The irony of it is that I ended up hurting the people I loved by trying to please them before knowing how to take care of and trust myself. I couldn't actually love authentically because I didn't know how to love myself. They were receiving authentic Julian one day and inauthentic Julian the next. Mixed messages from a messenger who didn't really know what the message was. Trying to say or do, in quotations, the right thing, as opposed to addressing what I actually felt. A number of times I would sense that the relationship didn't feel right to me and I would break up with her without very clear, concise reasons, which obviously would hurt her. Some time would pass, I would question my decision, feel awful about hurting her, convince myself I was in a bad mind space when I made the choice, and try to get back with her. I genuinely didn't know what the right thing to do was. How could breaking up be right when it hurt so badly? How could being together be right when something felt off and I couldn't put my finger on it? It felt like a limbo that I could never understand until two and a half years later, after multiple breakups, we decided to mutually split up. As a final send off, we had a psychedelic fueled night together where a lot of pent up emotions were expressed. And for the first time ever, it was undeniably clear to me just how painful my half-assed loving was to her. I could see the last two and a half years from a third person perspective and realize I was not proud of the way I was operating in my relationships not just the romantic one, but to everyone close to me. This realization, combined with the new freedom of being single, gave me time, space, and direction that I needed to learn to love myself. I didn't have to wonder how my actions would affect the relationship, just how they affected me. I was no longer identified with the relationship. I returned to being an individual with only myself to care for. I was living in my own apartment at the time, the first time I had lived separate from my parents. Suddenly, I was on my own journey, learning what I truly liked and didn't, what made me feel alive and what made me feel dull, who I was and who I wanted to be. And I only had to ask one person, and that was myself. This was incredibly empowering, and I finally began learning how to put myself first. I began to realize I couldn't give from an empty heart. I had to heal before I could have enough to share. I had to learn my truth and learn how to live it. And then, a few months later, I started dating another girl, which lasted only a few months. This relationship I learned a lot from. And thankfully, it was relatively free from the problematic tendencies in the last one. Though, as you might imagine, a few months of growth is unlikely to rid oneself of toxic traits and completely heal from the previous relationship. Though looking back on it now, I see where I succeeded in being authentic, where I still fell short, and uh, I'm glad it came to a close when it did. Since then, um, I've been single and continuing to use my time and energy to heal and love myself. It's a lifelong journey with ups and downs, but as long as I never give up and try my best, the overall trend will always be upwards. The traits and habits that once plagued my life and brought me into depression haven't completely vanished. I still get anxious, I still have to practice understanding and living my truth, but now they aren't such big portions of my personality and daily life. They occupy a smaller slice of the pie than they used to, and healthier, stronger traits are making room for themselves in my life. Kind of like picking weeds from a garden and planting flowers in their place. There are still weeds, but there's less than there used to be. And now the garden looks more like flowers than it does weeds. If you look close enough, you'll find the weeds. I'm trying to find them too. And like a dandelion, a weed can look a lot like a flower. And it might even have some benefits to it too. It's not always obvious, but with time, we understand more. And that is the end of my third point about what has helped me overcome depression. And so to summarize the takeaways of what have been the biggest movers in my life, um, we have admitting and accepting how you feel. And I think it's important to note that we don't need to rush to solve or understand why. I actually think that a large mistake I made was... Uh, rushing to conclusions about why I felt the way I did it didn't allow me to think it through clearly take the time to understand it and see a little bit wider a little bit deeper into some of the reasons why I was acting the way I did you know it was never as simple as oh you know I'm just just having a having a bad day or this person acted like that so I feel like this no it was more like Oh I act like this because I don't love myself. Oh I act like this because uh you know <laughs> I'm afraid to say how I feel. I act like this because uh I'm afraid. I'm afraid of life. I'm afraid to take responsibility. Not just here but in almost everywhere. You know. Getting down to those to those core reasons takes takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of tries. You may think you find an answer one time and realize that it may not be the most exact and you spend some more time understanding yourself. And I'm still, still understanding myself. Um, But it's a lot better now. Things are a lot better now. Um, And that brings me to my second point is that I'm so grateful for the support I had around me during these times and Um, I put it down here. Two brains are better than one. And when someone is committed and they are using their mind and their energy to help you heal, that's a whole other brain you got going in your favor, helping move you towards a place of healing, towards a place of understanding, towards a place of love. That is like a superpower. And I don't even think that that's an exaggeration, you know? And I've heard terrible, terrible things about some people's experiences with therapists. Um, I'm really fortunate that I had a good one, a really good one. Like it felt like it was meant to be. That's how it felt. It felt so true. It felt so right. I felt like I found the right person. And if I can, then I have belief that you can too. But also be aware that there's a bunch of bunch of jammooks out there. Bunch of um, bunch of people talking the talk but not walking the walk. My guy, my therapist, he walked the walk, and uh, he helped me learn how to m- walk my walk. Um, so yeah. Um, I was I, I, I could admit how I felt and then I had someone who I could admit that to or had multiple people and then I had someone dedicated which is again a privilege, very fortunate this can be a therapist but this can also be a friend or a family member uh, and it can be yourself to a degree but someone who is accepting non-judgmental, ready to hear you and ready to ask you questions, ready to understand you, to help you understand yourself. So as I continued to understand how I felt, how I felt, I felt bad, I felt sad, I felt angry, I felt depressed, I felt hopeless. Then he would ask me things like, what would make you feel better? What would make this hopelessness feel better? What would make this anger feel better? And that might be a little bit general. It's been a number of years since uh, since we had those particular sessions. But he would ask me questions. I don't remember ever a time where he gave me a solution. Sometimes I would go in there He'd ask me a few questions and then I would just talk. I would answer those questions and then I'd come up with my own questions and then I'd answer those questions. I'd talk for 40 minutes and he wouldn't say a word. He'd just look at me. He'd nod his head up and down. Time would be up and he'd be like, wow. And I'd be like, wow, great session. Thanks. And he'd be like, thank you. And I'd walk out of there I'd be like, "Whoa. I I had that answer. I just had to find my way to it." You know, he didn't give me anything. He gave me a prompt. He gave me a direction. That's what the ans- that's what that question is. It's a direction. And I have a feeling it's because, you know, he knows the shadow. He knows the darkness in himself. He knew what direction he had to point his energy in to find the answer so he knew what kind of directions he might help point me in to find mine and man i still uh you know even though i'm i'm consistent now i'm consistently good and uh and content and happy and energetic i still just want to sit down with him and talk it never gets old it never gets old having someone to speak to that you can be unapologetically yourself with, that you can be completely vulnerable with, that the that the conversation can be contextualized in free sharing, just sharing your experience, no judgment, no solutions, just sharing, and maybe some advice here and there if you ask for it. But yeah, um, so yeah. He helped me understand how I was feeling. He helped me find my own answers to, okay, what can I do to make me feel better? If I feel like this, how can I feel better? Which in turn is making my needs a priority. What do I need to feel okay? Take care of that. What is making me feel worse? Take care of that. How am I behaving that is making things worse? Behave the opposite way. Just try it. It's going to suck. It's going to feel uncomfortable. It's going to feel weird. It's going to feel awkward. It's supposed to. (laughs) Why would anything that you don't do consistently not feel awkward? You know, like writing your name with your left hand. Why should it be easy? Why should it feel good? There's no good reason. You haven't been practicing it so he helped me understand how to make my needs a priority and that that through healing myself, you know, I've kind of, you know, come to this is that like through healing myself through curating myself and creating myself in a way, excuse me, I had to burp. Um, um, Healing myself, creating love for myself, love within myself, and then being able to express love to others is um, a prerequisite. It's a prerequisite to. Or sorry, it's a prerequisite to giving the love to others that I would like to give, you know. And in turn, that that that's when I finally got the motivation and the understanding that, okay. my health is really important my physical health is really important my mental health is really important and they are not mutually exclusive i don't believe it um not for me at least um i always think they're complementary. your mental health improves your physical health your physical health improves your mental health for me addressing and understanding my mental health helped me bring up my physical health um but all the ways I was physically active before, you know, was definitely helping my mental health. But when I quit all those physical activities and my mental health was taking a toll at the same time, it was like, it was a concoction for lethargy and and depression and sluggishness. Um, so, yeah, now, now I'm interested in, you know, physical health, now I'm interested in my diet, now I'm interested in getting sunlight, being outside, fresh air, moving blood around my body, I know how it makes me feel different. I also know how different it makes me feel when I'm surrounded by different people. Again, back to the back to the idea that there's um, people that heal and people that perpetuate your pain. Um, you know when you're with someone who... You feel aligned. You feel aligned in yourself. You feel true in yourself when you're with them. And you also know in your heart when you're with somebody or you're with a group. Where you feel like you have to put on a front. You have to put on a mask to be a part of it. And it's not easy. It's not always easy. Sometimes you're in a situation Sometimes there's, there's a place you are, people you're around, an environment that you're in, and that's the people who are there are the people who are there. And you just do with that what you can. But with the choices you can make, you can choose your closest friends. With your free time, you can choose how you spend it. You can choose what kind of mind state you want to be in. And uh, speaking of, This kind of mind state I'm in right now while I'm talking into the microphone, expressing an experience, a long experience I had, the many experiences that followed, my understanding of it, trying to, trying to, trying to chop it up and, and share it. This is, this is the kind of mind state that's true. This is the kind of mind state that speaks to me. This is, this is alignment right now. And I, and I, you know, I'm. Uh, I'm not invincible. I find myself outside of alignment. I find myself doing and saying things that, you know, later I'll be walking around like, "Yo, that wasn't that cool," you know, "that was a little bit, <laughs> that was kind of lame," you know. If I think about like, you know, would my future wife or my future girlfriend be very impressed with uh, with those actions? Probably not. And that's you know, it's okay sometimes. I'm not going to be perfect for the rest of my life. Um, our flaws are part of us. Um, so <laughs> I don't know, learning to learning to own it, learning to see it. still figuring this out. Um, but yeah, uh, I feel immense gratitude. Endless gratitude for the people who have been there alongside me through those difficult times, who gave me company, who were my friends. I had them to rely on. My parents, my family around me at all times, my therapist, my, my pets at home, you know, all the people I might not have even met yet. Oftentimes the thought of the loving people around me put an end to the thoughts of taking my life. And that's truth. And that's truth. I'd always think, damn, what kind of pain would I inflict on them if I really did that? What kind of pain would I inflict if I really did that? Too much. Didn't, uh, that was too much wouldn't happen so I'm thankful I had those people in my life and and I still do a lot of them and I'm, I'm finding and meeting more people who are healing to be around and who I can be a friend I can do my best to be a healing force for them or create an environment where they're free to be vulnerable free to share their mind Free to speak to one another in respect. Free to disagree. Ooh, that's a good one. This is um, this has been uh, a bit of my story, overcoming depression and the things that have contributed to it, and there's a lot. There's probably a lot I didn't touch on. Um, there's definitely a lot I didn't touch on. I mean, come on. It was almost uh, 10 years ago this began, nearly, a little bit less. Um, and then if you really think about it, it's like, damn, all this, all this stuff started the day I was born and before that. You know what I mean? You could go back, butterfly effect, everything. Um, but yeah, um, if you listened, thank you for listening. Thank you for taking the time. I hope the sharing of my experience could be of some... Insight or some value. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to me because expressing my experience is also healing for me. For me to think about this, for me to try to understand it, is um, I'm gonna I'm gonna come back to this. I'm gonna return back to that. And I'm gonna think about it. I'm gonna think about the things, the people, the actions, the behaviors that I do every day that push me further away from depression and closer to fulfillment closer to health and strength and um thanks uh for being here with me and um this has been an experimental episode in terms of it's probably the most structured one I've done so far I pretty much wrote out a lot of what I said and then read it um And that helped me get a lot of the points that I wanted to cover included in here. So, yeah, that was neat. Um, And now I'm going to end this with a quote. Some of you may be familiar with this book. I think I shared a quote from it on the last podcast with my friend Jasper. If you haven't listened to that podcast, I'd highly suggest checking it out. Jasper is a great man. But this quote comes from the book, As a Man Thinketh, and this is a meditation or somewhat of a poem titled The Fourth Morning, and it goes like this, when the tongue is well controlled and wisely subdued, when selfish impulses and unworthy thoughts are no longer rushed to the tongue demanding utterance. When the speech has become harmless, pure, gracious, gentle, and purposeful, and no word is uttered but in sincerity and truth, then are the five steps in virtuous speech accomplished. Then is the second great lesson in truth learned and mastered. Make pure thy heart, and thou wilt make thy life rich, sweet, and beautiful. End quote. And um, I think that complements this episode nicely, to speak in truth, to speak honorably. Um, That's the ticket, you know. Couldn't have the relationships I wanted because I wasn't being honest with myself. So, let us be honest with ourselves to our best ability to continue striving to spend more time in that place of in that place of honest honesty and truth. It's getting late. I'm having grammatical errors in my speech. That's okay. And if you need to reach out to somebody, please do. If you want to reach out to me and get something off your chest, please do. You can message me. You can call me if you have my number. You can send an anonymous message to the link in the description of this podcast. If that's something you want to do. Sometimes it can be really powerful just to express what you're feeling. That's all you have to do. You don't have to figure it out right now. But give yourself the decency to tell the truth to yourself. And it'll make things a lot better. This has been Julian's Lightroom, Episode 9, Overcoming Depression thank you for being here with me. I'm glad you are. And I will catch you on the next one. Peace and love.